Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> Too much trouble. There's so many snarky comments that could be made about that, isn't there? <laughs> Well, good morning, Rick. I'm glad to be here podcasting with you on this holiday week. Yeah, I know it's a little bit, a uh, little bit different uh, week. We're we're recording on a different day than we normally record, and it's earlier in the week, and I'm still a little foggy headed from the weekend. <laughs> and so, hopefully, this isn't just rambling into a microphone, and there's something helpful I for people to listen trust to. Trust it will be quality as okay. it as uh, right. as we seek to be every week. Uh, but it, uh, it's fun to be able to to get together a little bit earlier in the week and talk about this message from this past weekend. It was a little bit more of a standalone uh, message, and and one that's relatively important for for what's going on here in our church and uh, some things that are coming up. So uh, yeah, I'm eager to to dive in and I'm hopeful uh, that this is really going to be helpful and uh, maybe uh, uh, speak to some questions and some thoughts that people are having out there and that uh, the people who are listening to this podcast might share it with others uh, mm-hmm. who they think will, will benefit from it. I think that would be a really good really good use of today's episode. Well, I enjoyed this past weekend's message on two levels, because you were specifically seeking to address one of the issues that is primary in our church's life right now, and that is the direction that has been set for the future of worship at our church. Mm -hmm. And yet you preached from an incredible chapter of scripture, Romans 11, that has so much richness for how the church navigates a situation where different cultures may be colliding. And so I think this message has uh, true value, both for speaking to a specific situation that our congregation is addressing right now, as well as a broader conversation about the church seeking unity Mm -hmm. amongst its members and amongst the church community as a whole. Yeah, I I love that passage. Romans is thick. It's, It's got so much packed into it and a lot of Old Testament symbolism and references packed into it. And it was probably too ambitious even to use the amount of Romans chapter 11 that I used. I think it's understandable why. I think when John Piper has a famous message series where he preached through Romans, I think it took him 137 years to, to preach through it. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it was years to years to, to preach through it. There's so there's so much there. And one day I look I look forward to maybe um, tackling tackling a series through the entire book that of Romans. That would be fantastic. But that, but, but that section uh, from Romans 11 just seemed to not just be written for the, for the church, uh, the house churches in Rome at mm-hmm. that time, but it really felt like it was written for us too, and I was grateful for it. Okay, so, so take us a little bit, put us into context. So Romans okay. 11, Paul is addressing the church. That's right. right. And let's make sure that we're, we're helpful. There is the church is in the, the church universal. And that's and what we mean by that is all Christians in all places throughout all time. And so there is the church in Rome there in the first century uh, in the 40s and 50s and, and, and 60s uh, AD. But it wouldn't have been one location. There would have been Christians meeting uh, in houses predominantly. They might have had some other locations. We know that there were times that Christians met in underground cemeteries called catacombs. But uh, but there would have been a network of gathering places for Christians. Those would have been uh, particular, probably distinct congregations around Rome, predominantly meeting in households at that time. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that had been been going on, and we know this um, in, from the 8040s, it's written about in Acts 18, it's written by uh, the Roman historian Suetonius, that Claudius got mad or was just 
lost his patience with the entire Jewish community because they were experiencing upheaval over some in the Jewish community coming to faith in Christ. There's lots of turmoil about that. Read through the book of Acts. You'll understand exactly what's going on there. So he kicks them all out. And so all the all the people who had really founded churches were Jewish believers. Paul would go into a new area. He would go into a city. He would meet in a synagogue. He would uh, explain to them how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament uh, prophecies. Uh, they would, he would preach about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jewish believers would come to faith. Paul would also go out to the marketplace and preach to Gentiles. But the majority of the new believers, or maybe all of the first believers sometimes uh, in a particular location were Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And so you have this network of house churches throughout Rome, and the first pastors would have been uh, Jewish believers, uh, the leaders, the servants, the, the givers, those who are really um, the backbone, the backbone of the Christian community in Rome uh, would have been Jewish believers, and all of a sudden they're they're gone. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of relate to that. Not not exactly, but we can kind of relate to it for all of us who went through COVID lockdowns. All of a sudden, people are gone. And, and some people who you relied on, it wasn't, they could not return to in-person gatherings as quickly as other people could. And there's a variety of reasons for that. We respect all of those reasons, but we, we got a glimpse of what that, what that might be like. Mm-hmm. It's so now. Well, our church specifically not only went through the COVID lockdowns, as all churches did, but we also went through lead Pastor transition That's right. in that same time period. And, and let me just kind of give some pastor data, some some nerd stats to folks, and and, and these aren't necessarily fun stats. Uh, whenever there is a lead pastor transition uh, after a pastor has been there for a long time, and a long tenured pastor is considered twelve to fourteen years. Uh, our previous lead pastor, John Steer, was here for thirty years. Mm-hmm. The expectation is is you're probably going to lose twenty five percent of the congregation. Um, you're doing awesome if only you have a 10% attrition. Um, and so that's something that, that our church, like every other church, had to navigate. There's all kinds of just human behavior that's that's locked into that that's almost impossible to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to go through that and COVID at the same time, majorly disruptive. So a lot of folks can probably relate to that. So there you have these uh, believers there in the Roman house churches uh, in the in the first century AD, and they've, they're losing their the primary Bible teachers, they're losing the leaders, they're losing the backbone of the church, they're losing the givers. And now Gentile believers probably are having to grow up in a hurry. Mm-hmm. They're having to mature in a hurry, um, and they're sharing the faith, and the churches are growing. And then some years later, not too many years, but some years later, um, Jewish believers come back. And now it's different. What was once predominantly Jewish culture in the churches is now predominantly or exclusively Gentile culture. That had to feel very, very weird. Mm-hmm. The Just the way, go from one church to the next, and you'll see, even, even when the people believe all the same things, the way that it's expressed is different depending on the culture of that community, the culture of that church. Very, it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. If, you go to, if you go to a predominantly African-American church that believes the same things as a predominantly white evangelical church, teaching the same things, believing the same things, worshiping the same God, united, united in the faith, but the way that it's expressed is different is different, it would have been just as just as different for them. I mean, think about what a Saturday night was like for Christians <laughs> uh-huh. in Rome. Well, if you if you were a Jewish Christian, you were 
you were practicing the Sabbath, and you were you you had you had a special dinner on 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 you had a special Sabbath dinner, and or when you had a baby uh, boy that was born, you had a bris. And if you're a Gentile believer, you didn't have that. Gentile believers might be having a dinner party on Saturday night, while Jewish believers are, are way located. It affected the way people social. It affected all kinds of things. Yeah. The kinds of food that Gentile believers ate would have been different from the kinds of food that Jewish believers ate. There's so much going on, and we really owe it to ourselves. If we love God's Word, if we really want to understand what's trying to be communicated, to really just slow down and marinate in that turbulence Mm -hmm. and to get what the Apostle Paul is in part trying to address through this letter to the Roman house churches. Now, I appreciate uh, that you've pulled out the truths from this passage to mm-hmm. help us navigate a time when when we are feeling maybe a little more turbulence, yeah. even broader in our society and in the Christian church as a whole mm-hmm. than we probably have in other generations. I've heard you say that you believe this is probably the most divisive and tribal-oriented time in, uh, in my lifetime. Certainly, yeah. In, in my lifetime. In anything that we've experienced. And, and maybe I'm naive. And maybe there were things going on when I was much younger that I just wasn't paying attention to. Um, Perhaps folks who were older than than me, uh, who lived through the mid to late 60s and and, and the 70s would say, well, that's more more, uh, divisive then. I know that uh, I think domestic terrorism was significantly higher during that time. The amount of bombings that happened inside the United States was significantly higher during that time. I think there were probably more, more riots. You had things like what happened at Kent State. And so maybe this is maybe this is just another blip on the radar in American history and not the largest blip on the radar but it's it's the most significant level of divisiveness and tribalism that I've ever experienced mm-hmm. and as followers of Jesus we have an incredible opportunity to respond with the gospel mm-hmm. and help people to to see Jesus, because this is whatever it is, whether it's whether it's worse or not worse or as bad or not as bad. I really don't care about that. I'm not like super into comparison. I'm just trying to understand the moment that I'm in, and the moment that we're in is just another expression of darkness, mm-hmm. and it's a, and it's a darkness in which the light of the gospel can shine brightly. And so I want us to shine it brightly. And so the way that we love each other, the way that we engage in all expressions of unity together, is something that God is going to happily use to draw people to himself. Yeah. Well, it is remarkable when we see that being done well. And Mm -hmm. Paul's frequent call to unity, I think, is something that is so relevant uh, for where we are as a society as Mm -hmm. well as where we are as a church today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was struck when you were preaching about him in in the way that this particular church in Rome was needing to navigate what it looked like to have the Jews returning and being reintegrated mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. that church, how much easier it would have been and how much more human nature it probably yeah. would have been for them just to say, you know, let's just have you know, first Jewish church over on this street yeah. corner, and let's just have yeah. first Gentile church over here. Absolutely. And and just go with it. Let everyone be comfortable in that way. But that wasn't the message. Can we, can we try to, like, imagine a scenario that we can put ourselves into? Imagine Imagine that there's that there's something that that goes on that causes a large section of us we're kicked out of Rochester and we're not allowed to be in Rochester, right? It's so um, 
everyone, we're going to make it silly. Everybody who's not a diehard Viking fan is banned from the city. <laughs> so I got to leave. You know, I, I'm a Saints fan. You know, we knocked the Vikings out of their hope for <laughs> the Super Bowl. We went on and won the Super Bowl. And so we're definitely, I'm definitely out. I can't. Persona I can't. non grata. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm leaning into this a little too much. <laughs> so I'm out of the city. Everybody else who's not a diehard uh, fan of the Vikings, all the cheeseheads. I'm uniting with the cheeseheads now. We're, I mean, we're, we're out of the city and we're not allowed to be here. I mean, it's just the law. Right. And so everybody who's a Vikings fan, uh, they're, 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 they're leading the church. It's some years later, we're invited back in. And imagine what it would be. I'm just going to, I'm going to make it personal about me. Imagine what it would be like um, to come back in. Let me make, let me include you. Are you a diehard Vikings fan? Oh, I wouldn't say diehard, but I'd choose the Vikings over any other team. All right. I guess you remain. That? So I come <laughs> back in, right? And so somebody else is now, somebody else is now leading the staff. Someone else is predominantly preaching uh, is is the is is the most frequent you know weekend service communicator leading the congregation serving as the lead pastor and now I'm back what do I do? Mm-hmm. That's awkward. Do I accept it? Do I do I lean in and say you know what God is using this for His glory? I don't. At one level, like Paul says, God's plan is a mystery. I don't totally understand it, but I can understand enough. I can understand that it's good for me, but it's bigger than me. I can understand that it's good for all of us, but it's bigger than us too. Do I, do I just, do I just pick up an oar and say I'm going to paddle along with everybody else, or do I say, well, I'm going to take my own group and I'm going to go start my own thing? Mm. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I that would be there would be a major it would be a major conflict there, I, or just inner conflict in me, and we haven't even gotten to what the external conflicts would be. That sort of thing had to be going on. Um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, who were mentioned in Acts 18, who were who had to leave Rome, we know that they led multiple house churches. They did so in Ephesus, um, and they did so again in Rome. Um, and I would imagine that there was a need for even more churches. Um, and so some of those people would go and, and, and probably launch new house churches, and that would be a totally healthy thing. But it wouldn't be healthy if it was born out of disappointment over cultural changes. Mm-hmm. Right, so if I came back now, non-Vikings fans are allowed back into Rochester. If there's a need for more churches because more people are coming to faith, and I and others went and launched a new church, that would be good and healthy. But if I did so because I don't get the place that I used to have, well, that would be sin. Mm-hmm. And so I just would imagine that in those Roman churches, they're working through all that kind of stuff, and that's why Paul talked about not being superior about remembering how we are brought in to what God has been doing for a long, long time. Well, and God's vision for the church is this group of people who are not just one specific demographic that all have Mm -hmm. one thing that binds them together. Exactly. It is people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every generation. Romans chapter 9, quoting Hosea, Mm -hmm. goes on. I mean, makes a big deal out of God's desire for the nations Mm -hmm. uh, to come to him. Yeah. That we're all bringing all of these beautiful different yeah. understandings of the truth of the gospel and that, that it is the truth of the gospel that unites us above everything else. That's right. We are united in Christ, and it, there's, there are other things that we agree about or disagree about, but our unity is exclusively about trusting in, in, the, in the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come to save sinners and that if you trust in him by faith, you are in him. 
And so it's being in him that gives us our, our unity. And we want to agree on doctrine. Doctrine is so important. What we believe about who God is and what the Bible is trying to communicate, very, very important. But that's not the source of our unity. Mm-hmm. Source of our unity is exclusively being in Jesus. So I'm united with people who I disagree with mm-hmm. as long as they trust in Jesus and I trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So God's word is timeless. And this chapter has beautiful mm-hmm. um, implications and, yeah. and help for mm-hmm. every generation that has read it since the time that Paul read it, or since the time he wrote it. But you were uh, using it as the foundation to help us understand some of the theological call to unity for us as a congregation yes. as we're navigating some mm-hmm. of this right now. Because uh, I appreciated the timeline that you showed with kind of the history of worship over the last 80 years or so, mm-hmm. and uh, and different expressions that have risen from the 40s and the 70s and the mm-hmm. 90s, and, and that in um, earlier in our lifetime, there was this wonderful goal of being able to reach younger people mm-hmm. at church by introducing music that was maybe a little bit more um, relevant to them with the, the hope of let's bring in the next generation of the church. But it had the unintended consequence of launching the worship wars yes. and different styles of worship music. Yeah. And, uh, and what was once something that had a great intention mm-hmm. of let's make sure that all people can be reached with mm-hmm. the gospel in church has maybe had the unintended consequence of dividing congregations as ours has has kind of toyed with that feeling at times of having one congregation that mm-hmm. worships in a traditional style and a different congregation that worships in a modern style. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one of the beautiful directions that we're headed with unified worship is breaking down some of those barriers between yes. the different congregations at our church and yes. bringing us back together. And I look forward to that. I look forward, I look forward to that too. I, I, I look for I look forward to that too and I hope that people listening that they don't wince or bristle at the idea of, of you saying that there are kind of a couple of different congregations in, in our church because there's there are cultures and identities that form ar- around that and I don't think we're saying anything I, I, we're not trying to say anything negative or demeaning or, or, or pejorative but it's it's easy to it's easy to calcify around meaningful things that are also lesser things. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we express worship is meaningful, but it's far below what it is that actually gives us our unity. And that's being that's being in Christ. And what we're trying to do, and I think that this is particularly timely for what's going on in our community, what's going on across our country, is for people to see unity across cultures and across generations, mm-hmm. because it is so uncommon. And I believe that that is something that God particularly wants to use right now for our own discipleship and reaching those who don't yet know Jesus. Mm. I think that's something that God particularly wants to use right now. I want people to hear me clearly. I'm not castigating pastors from the 90s. I'm not not second-guessing decisions that pastors made from the 90s to have distinct types of services. If If I was a pastor in the 90s, I probably would have done the same thing. I'm not... I'm not... I'm not throwing shade on that. We're just talking about where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, and we're also talking about, you know, if people listen to the message, if people read some of the information we've shared, we're also talking about what we're able to do. Um, and we're just not able to do, we know that we're not able to do that indefinitely. But I also recognize 
I believe that God is leading his people to demonstrate um, anew what the unity is, what our unity is in Christ, because that's something that he wants to use to draw people to himself through faith in Christ. That people will know that we are the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, by the way that we love one another. Mm. And that's that's it's just our next step into that. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's our it's our next step into that. And I know that God wants to use that. So I love that. And mm-hmm. I, I just get excited when I can envision us sitting together with with older people and younger people and people from a variety of cultures worshiping together, all united in our common love of Christ and our desire to welcome more people into knowing the love of Christ, too. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to attain. No, it's not easy. And change is hard. Can you speak with your pastoral heart for a moment. You mentioned in the message that you've grieved a lot during this process, and I can verify that. I've seen you in the offices several times um, with clearly a heavy heart for just how some of the changes have an impact on people. And it's, it's you know, I think it's we need to acknowledge that the people that are going to feel the change of um, the, the worship Uh, here are the ones who probably been disproportionately affected by change and loss over the last few years at this church um, than any other group. And and I know that that weighs heavily on your heart. Um, Can you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I know. I I think that you're absolutely right when you say, when you're you're talking about long-term attenders, especially when we're talking about folks um, who are at or beyond retirement age, uh, people who've invested decades, they're disproportionately affected uh, because they had more time with our previous uh, with our with our previous lead pastor, John Steer, who's a, who's an amazing man. Um, and and I'm <laughs> younger than some of their kids. Mm-hmm. what a, what is <laughs> what an adjustment um, that must be. and and so much about the world is changing so fast, and there's so many changes that we've had to make in response. Uh, to things that have happened over the over the past three years, uh, I I I lament a couple of things. One is broad and generic, and then one is and then the the second half is is really more personal okay. and, and hidden us here at home. One is I lament when churches talk themselves into being something less than gentle or kind to older believers out of simply a desire to reach younger believers. I don't, Mm. younger people, I don't think that's a good thing. Like, I think we all need to be together. It's one of the reasons that we're saying um, in this, uh, in this slow process that's rolling out, everybody moves or nobody moves. We really want to be together. And I don't think it's ever okay just to kind of squeeze out a demographic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that happens. Um, So I, I lament that in a generic sense, but it was early on in this process because our pastor over traditional worship transitioned to another church, I knew that some sort of change was coming. Um, I was it was serving communion on a, on a Sunday morning uh, in the in the traditional service, and I was in inwardly I had so much joy of she, of, of serving communion, but inner turmoil and pain, knowing that it was a possibility. That, that there's an end date to being able to do that kind of service. And I, I wasn't grieving because that's my preferred service. I do enjoy that service. It's not my preferred service, but I do enjoy that service. My preferred service is something a bit more modern that also brings in 
old songs, mm-hmm. um, traditional hymns. But uh, I was grieving for those folks because it means so much to them. And they've, they've given so much to the cause of Christ through this particular uh, local church. So many of those folks pray for me every day. Um, and they've, they've let me, they, they, they've told that to me. And anything that is disappointing to them or hurtful to them, it just hurts me. I, I, and I, I, yeah. So it has been, I've agonized. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've agonized over it. And, um, through the conversations that I've got to have, um, over throughout this process with our worship advisory team, which were all, uh, people who predominantly, who, who majority go to that, um, or most frequently go to that service. I'm fumbling through my words here. Uh, that's their primary service that they go to and they participate in that. And we've had some, just some tearful, gut-wrenching conversations throughout this process. And so I've grieved with them and and that as I've watched them grieve and just feeling this myself. And so no one's turning cartwheels over this. No one's no one's no one's high-fiving each other over this. And yet we believe that God is doing something good and I'm eager to follow him in that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know any other way to describe it than that. Yeah. I, well, I, I'm, not high, I'm not celebrating it. I'm grieving it. But I also gladly welcome it, trusting that God is doing something good. I think one of the strongest message points that you made this last weekend was something that I've been continually processing since then. And that was the line <clears throat> that God has a mission that is good for us and bigger than us. Yeah. And, and I really loved that point, because I think that gave some good perspective, both to what you were just talking about, as well as just a great perspective for trusting God and where he's leading in life, that what he is leading us to is something that we know is good for us, because he is a good God yeah. that does good things, absolutely, especially for people who love him and are pursuing him. Uh, but it's bigger than us. It's Absolutely. not just about any individual person or any individual church. He's working on this grand scale that we can't even begin to comprehend. Uh, but I think that helps in in soothing some of the grief that we might feel, as well as just some of the navigation of the change in yeah. all of this. That he's doing something good, and it's even bigger than any one individual, any one service, any one church. Mm-hmm. You know, if those Christians both Jewish and Gentile and who are in Rome, if they had our vantage point of today, what would they say? Mm-hmm. They would say, wait a second, everybody, I mean, virtually everywhere you go, people know the name of Jesus? Are you kidding me? They would say, wait, some of our friends were killed in the Colosseum. There's a cross hanging in the Colosseum of Rome today? Are you kidding me? Wait a second. There is a there's a there are things called cathedrals. <laughs> there are things called basilicas. Wait a second. Are you what? Wait a second. There's a massive building named after Peter <laughs> in Rome? Are you kidding me? Wait a second. Every all I could go to any town that I go to throughout Europe, all, the the tallest building in all these little towns, is a church where Christians gather to worship. Are you kidding me? Wait a second. <laughs> and one of the most significant countries on the planet to be sworn in as the leader of that country, you place your hand on God's word. Are you kidding me? Mm. 
I would gladly go through that a thousand times over, whatever discomfort and mutual submission I had to go through so that the cause of Christ could continue. And I'm not saying that, you know, how we inaugurate our president (laughs) is part of the cause of Christ, but I'm just saying it just shows the influence of Christianity that even the leader of the free world is sworn in by putting his hand on the Bible, right? And so I think they would say, this is amazing. What sacrifice could I have made wouldn't have been worth that. I am so glad to be a part of that. I think that's the kind of, I think they would just go on and on and on and on about all kinds of things that we might just take for granted. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) as you're saying that and thinking again, back to the incredible beauty of that first generation to be coming together as Mm -hmm. Jew and Gentile. And it was only because of the unity that they somehow managed to forge in that, that earned them a whole new identity as Christians. Yes. Rather than Jews who followed Jesus or Gentiles who became God-fearers. They they got this new name of Christians that we've been known by ever since because of the unity that they found. So in the 40s AD, Suetonius didn't even know how to spell. Christos. He, he wasn't uh-huh. even sure who it, were they were, who it was they were talking about. But by the 60s, it was clear, all right, this is, these are followers of Jesus Christ. And all the people who are identified with him, they are a unique, distinct class and community of people. That is powerful. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. And they experienced a unity that I don't think that we have, that we are currently experiencing in the American church. Well, I hope we can make some baby steps towards that, though, as we practice more in that as a local church and as a united group of churches Mm -hmm. in our Rochester community. Mm -hmm. And so let me just say, for people wondering, well, how do we take that step? It's remembering that our, again, we're not saying the doctrine isn't important. It's important. If you come and listen to how we teach here, I think you'll see it's super important to us. Mm -hmm. But that's not what our unity is based in. Our unity is not based on agreeing about doctrine. It's based on being in Jesus. And when we understand that, oh my goodness, it will change everything. Let's leave it there. I think that's an important bedrock foundation for people to process, to think on, to rest on, to feel secure on. All right. All right.